0: Over the past several months, uh, we've been looking at who we are in Christ. We've been looking at our identity in Christ. Uh, What we've called it is, is our radical ID. And that's what we've been looking at. We've been looking at aspects of it. And today, I want to introduce something a little bit different into that. It's a picture. It's a symbolic picture of what Scripture, of who Scripture says Jesus is, and by virtue of the fact that Jesus is that, we are that. And so this morning we're going to look at that, but this picture is a little bit absurd, okay? It's, it's a little bit, it's an opposite. And I'll explain what I mean by that. It's, it's, I almost hate to use this word, it's almost an oxymoron, okay? It, it's the opposite. If you know what that is, it's, it's two words that are opposite of each other. And literally this, this picture is going to be a picture that's opposite Now, the Bible uses all kinds of symbolic features and references to describe things clear or to paint a visual image of things that are indescribable. Jesus used parables and stories, and many of them came from agriculture, to teach the lessons that he taught. In the book of the Revelation, John uses all kinds of symbols and pictures and I believe that you interpret the book of Revelation literally. But you also have to understand that there are, are are symbols and pictures there. When And I'll probably say this again, but whenever John uses the word like, it was like this or as. It, it, it was as a a, 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 a lion. Now, we're going we're to talk about that this morning. When he uses the word like or as, those are grammatical words that tell us that what... Is a is a metaphor or a simile? It's a it's a symbol. John sees something that he doesn't have words to describe what he sees with, so he uses the best that he has. Does that make sense? Have you ever seen something and just didn't know how to describe it, and so you described it with some other symbol? Like it looked like this. It was it was red. It was blood red. You know something like that. Well, that's 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 what John does in the Revelation. The Bible uses a great deal of that. And in, in, in the book of the Revelation, John uses metaphors, but the Holy Spirit gives them to him. He uses them, things like gold and precious stones and costly pearls to describe the construction material of heaven. Why? Because John didn't have human words to describe what he saw. He saw streets that were transparent like gold it always amuses me that that god uses gold what we think is so important and what's so expensive he uses it as paving material in heaven does that give you an idea of, of of the of the richness of god if if he uses what we think is the most precious thing for paving material what must his riches and his jewels be like well that's something for another day but as as John uses these indescribable things, we kind of catch a glimpse of the pictures that he's trying to paint. And So we're going to look at one he paints today. And I want to use this picture really to kind of paint today who the Bible says you are and who I am. And we want to do it from a description of who Jesus is. Now, I want to say this up front. I don't think I have to say this, but I want to make sure I say this, okay? We will never be God, okay? I'm not talking about that kind of thing. We'll never be God, no matter how much like Jesus we become, He is God, okay? But He's also man. And the Bible says... There will be a day when we are like Him in that respect. We were, our humanity will be like His humanity. He will remove all the sin, all the suffering, all the pain, and we will be like Him. I love what Romans verse 8.29 says, For whom He foreknew, He also predestined to become conformed. And, and that word "conform" means to be pressed into a mold. So that when that mold opens up, there's an exact replica. And the Bible says that whom he foreknew, whom he he also predestined to be conformed, to be pressed into mold to the image of his Son, so that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Folks, I I want to talk to you today about an image of Jesus. And it's it's not the baby in the manger that we celebrate at Christmas time it's not the battered body hanging on the cross that we're so familiar with i want to talk to you today about a picture of who he is right now right now and it's it's an awesome picture and if we're going to imitate him then we ought to imitate him as he is right now does that make sense I'll be honest with you, it'll take us a lifetime to imitate what He was at the cross. But the reality is, you and I don't have to die on a cross. We don't have to imitate that physically. We imitate that, in a sense, by dying to ourselves. But there's a picture in Revelation, and you can go ahead and turn there. It's in chapter 5. We're going to look at that. But Jesus, we've talked about this, that Jesus is our prototype. He, he's the original from which... All the carbon copies are made. We're to be a carbon copy, an exact replica of who Jesus is in our actions and in our attitudes. And it was, it was God's plan that every one of us be like Jesus. That's one of the reasons He sent Jesus. We know He sent Jesus to die for our sins. Amen. Now we have talked to Him a little bit this morning. It's okay. I know there's a lot of space between us. I can move back if I need to. Jesus came to die for our sins, but He also came to give us an example to follow. A, a, a road map, in a sense. It, it, you know, He could have come and died for our sins and gone back to heaven, and we'd still be wandering around trying to figure out how to get there. But He gave us a road map of how to live, what to do in certain situations. We have that example in the Gospels. And so we've talked about a little bit. Jesus came to be the second Adam. Why did we need a second Adam? Because the first Adam messed up. The first Adam blew God's A plan. And God only has one plan. It's the A plan. And so He sent Jesus to fulfill the A plan to prove that God's plan was perfect. And so Jesus came and became the second Adam. And so in a sense, as we live this out day by day, and it's what, it's what we used to hear, uh, we don't hear this word very often, but it's, it's the sanctification process. It literally, that word's about this long, sanctification. What does that mean? It means as we become like Jesus, as we become set apart, as we are being made holy, does that make sense? As we become like Jesus. That, it, during that sanctification process, which is day by day, we are slowly and meticulously returning step by step to the garden. How many of you realize that? Man and woman begin in a garden. If you read the end of the book, guess where we end back up? In a garden. Paradise. That's what Eden was. It was paradise. And so we're on a, we're on a journey Back to a garden. And it's a big deal, the journey. Not just the destination, but the journey. Now, I want you to look with me. We're going to look at Revelation chapter 5. The Lord just kind of hit me in the face with this about three or four weeks ago. Have you ever heard a word or a song or a phrase you just couldn't get out of your mind? I was singing one yesterday all day long because I, I heard it on a John Fogarty uh, CD. Now it wasn't it wasn't Creed, it's Clearwater. I'm trying to think about the group it was. It really doesn't matter. My mind's racing in a lot of different directions. But it was just, I, I just couldn't get I sang it all day long to myself. Nobody else wanted to hear it. Have you ever heard of, Have you ever heard something and you just couldn't get it off your mind? You saw something. Well, a few weeks ago, I was listening to the radio. Uh, i was listening to, in fact i was listening to wdjc i don't even know the name of the song but i heard one word in a song that just captured me and i thought where did man that word actually it was two words it was an, it was a noun and an adjective that it just captured me i thought where have i where have i seen that picture before because it was a great picture and then I realized that those two words perfectly describe who Jesus is and who we are in Christ. They're biblical. And so I want, to, I want us to look at the context of that word. And I'm kind of saving the word. Most of you are looking for it to pop up there. I told Connie not to put the title of the sermon up till the end because I want to build up to the, the word, okay? Now, let's go to Revelation chapter five, verse one through seven. If you want to read some amazing scripture, read Revelation 4 and Revelation 5. It, it's a John is caught up into heaven. And this is what he sees. And, and in these two chapters, there are one, two, three, four, five songs that they're singing in heaven. We're not gonna we're not gonna read all of this, but I want to I want to begin. This one won't be up on the screen. It will be the first one. If you go back to chapter 4, verse 11, I want you to, to listen. In fact, I'm going to go back to verse 9. And when the living creatures gave glory and honor and thanks to Him who sits on the throne, that's God, to Him who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders will fall down before Him who sit on the throne and will worship Him with who lives forever and ever and will cast their crowns at thrones, saying, Worthy art Thou, O our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power, for Thou did create all things, and because of Your will they existed and were created. And then in verse 5, chapter 1. And John says, And I saw in the right hand hand of Him who sat on the throne A book written inside and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the book and to break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the book or to look into it. And John says in verse 4, I began to weep greatly because no one was found worthy to open the book or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, Stop weeping. Stop weeping. Behold, the line that is from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has overcome. So as to open the book and its seven seals. And I saw between the throne, between the throne, with the four living creatures and the elders, a lamb standing as if slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent out into all the earth. And he came and took it out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken the book, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each one having a harp and a golden bowl full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song. Worthy art thou to take the book and to break its seals, for thou wast slain and did purchase from God with every, with thy blood men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. And thou hast made them to be a kingdom and priest to our God, and they will reign upon the earth. John saw God. And as he saw God, he, he, he saw a, a scroll was brought out, a book. And this was a, was a fairly large book because it wasn't just written on the front, it was written on the back. Now, a lot of people wonder what the scroll was. Well, here's, here's my guess, okay? I believe it was God's plan to judge, the, it was literally the wrath of God. It was God's plan to judge sin. This is what He was going to do. And so he brings this they bring this book out and it's sealed. In the ancient world they would seal documents or books that weren't to be read until a certain time. It's no different than today if if you're traveling behind a, an 18 wheeler, you'll notice a seal on the back door. It'll have a they're not they're not wax when they're imprinting them, today they're, they're little plastic deals that pull together, and if that seal's broken, when that truck gets to uh, OK, I'll take a time out here. If that seal is broken, when the truck gets to its destination, they know somebody's tampered with contents. And so this book comes it has seven seals on it. You'll hear me say this probably again: seven in Scripture is the number of perfection. It's, com- it's a complete thing. In other words, this, uh, this this document is sealed completely. And the day has come for this, this document to be opened. And, and John see it, sees it brought out. And there's a question. An angel is flying through the heavens. Who is worthy to break the seals? Nobody stands up. Nobody steps forward and says, hey, I'll do it. And John's overwhelmed. I mean, remember, he's in heaven. And then one of the elders says, Stop weeping. Don't cry. And he gives us a picture of Jesus. And, folks, it's an essential picture that we need to grasp. Now, it's not just one picture, there's going to be a couple of pictures. So I'm warning you beforehand, don't get fixated on just one picture. They go together, although they are oxymoronic, okay? They don't seem like they fit. In verse 5, Jesus is pictured as the lamb that is from the tribe of Judah, the root of David. I mean, excuse me, the line that is from the tribe of Judah, the root of David. Now that is one of the most popular pictures of Jesus. He he's pictured as the lion. If you've if you've ever seen or read the Chronicles of Narnia, uh, if you haven't, let me encourage you to do it. If you like fiction, it, it's tremendous fiction. C.S. Lewis wrote it. C.S. Lewis was a tremendous Christian writer, uh, and it's it's filled with symbolism. There's two or three that they have uh, that they have. Uh, made movies out of the, the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, and Prince Caspian, and there's another one that I can't remember uh, uh, the exact name. But, but the, the, the Christ figure is a huge lion, and his name is Aslan. And he, he is the ultimate ruler of Narnia. And, and, and there are just countless symbols of the lion. In, in Christian lore. It, it's, a, it's a huge picture. It's one of the most popular ones. Do you know where it comes from? It doesn't come from here. It comes from Genesis. In the book of Genesis, let me make sure i got the patriarch right, Jacob, Israel, is about to die. He calls his sons in. And he does what what every father did. He calls each one of them up, and He begins to bless them. He lays His hands on their head, and He begins to bless them. And a blessing was usually prophetic. It spoke not just about who they were, but what they would become. You see, their name meant something. And so when He gets to His son Judah, whose name means praise. That's what Judah means, praise. When He gets to praise, He lays His hand on Judah's head, and this is what He says. In Genesis chapter 49, verse 8 through 10, it says, Judah, praise, your brother shall praise you. Praise, your brother shall praise you. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's son shall bow down to you. Judah is a lion's whelp, or literally, a young lion. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He crouches. He lies down as a lion. And as a lion, who dares rouse him up? The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until Shiloh comes. Literally, the word Shiloh means until the one to whom it belongs comes. So all of a sudden, old uh, uh, Jacob's not talking. He, he's talking... Hundreds, perhaps thousands of years down the road. He's pronouncing this blessing, but he's prophetically speaking about something. And to him shall be the obedience of the people. And so he blesses Judah. He blesses his son with with rulership. What tribe was Saul from? This is a trick question, so don't answer it real quick. Benjamin. What tribe was David from? Judah. Judah. What tribe was Jesus from? Judah. He was a direct descendant of King David. He was a direct descendant of Judah. Or in Hebrew, Yehuda. Praise. And so, this passage is saying that that Judah, you're going to be like a lion. And you're going to be a ruler. And you're going to be a king. And your brothers, the other tribes, they're all going to bow down to you. And that scepter, that rod, the scepter is what a ruler would extend to, to give entrance to someone who came into his, his presence. The rod is what he would use pronounce to, to judgment with. He, he, he says, there's a king coming who will have both. And those, both of those gifts belong to him. That's what shallow means and to Him shall be the obedience of the peoples. There in Genesis, in the very first book of the Bible, is a prophetic, prophetic declaration about Jesus coming. And so this, this prophetic blessing that Judah, that was spoken over Judah referred to Jesus because Jesus would descend from the, Judah's line and through D- King David. And Jesus is the line whose tribe is literally Praise. See, that's why I praise, folks. That's why we we don't just sing three or four songs on a Sunday morning because that's just what you do before you preach. Worship and praise is not what we do; it's who we are. It's our tribe, okay? The tribe of Judah today and throughout history, their flag has a lion on it because of the prophetic words of Jacob, and so Judah. Or, excuse me, Jesus is going to be the lion eventually. Now, an image of a lion is rich with meaning. What comes to your mind when I say lion? What automatically? King of beasts. Exactly. The king of the beast. The king of the jungle. The lion uh, over history has become symbolic with leadership and with royalty and majesty. Kings were looked at as lion. King Richard, the lion hearted. On and on and on, you just, you come up with the lion's a very common symbol, uh, through antiquity and and in palaces even today that you find etched on the walls, engraved in pictures, on flags, on tombs. A sphinx is a lion. That's, that's what that is. It's a lion with a human face. That's what the, that's what the pharaohs put to guard their tombs. See, the lion was a, was a powerful animal in their culture. Symbolic, it symbolizes courage and power and strength and authority. It's also symbolic of, of intellectual in, in excellence, brains, leadership ability. It's interesting, when Solomon ascended to the throne, and he began his building project, he builds the temple. Then he builds uh, His house. You know what his throne looked like? It was ivory, it was overlaid with gold, and where his hands rested, you know what rested under his hands? Two lions. But not just two lions. There were six steps up to his throne. On each of those steps stood a lion or two lions. So there are actually 14 lions. Now, just imagine. You've got an audience with King Solomon. And you're to, you're to go up those steps, and you know typically they greeted a king by, by kissing his hand. You're going to kiss his hand. You're not going to kiss his hand from the bottom of the steps. So you've got to go up the steps to kiss his hand. I wonder what he's trying to communicate to you as you come up those steps. How powerful he is. That's, that's the reason for the lions. They were there to to communicate power and majesty and and royalty. And so that's the first picture that we have of Jesus. He is the Lion of the tribe of Judah. Now, the elder says, oh no, the the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the Root of David. He's worthy to open the seals. Now, that's the first symbol. I want want that symbol to stand here. That's the one we're, we're familiar with. When we think about Jesus, we think about the Lion, don't we? But there's another symbol in this passage that John sees. Now, John has a perspective from earth. The elder has a perspective from heaven. He sees the line. John sees something else. They're looking at the same person. Do you understand that? This, this is, it's almost oxymoronic, okay? He's, the, the elder sees one thing. John sees something else. Look what it says there in verse 6. And John says, And I saw between the throne. Now, I don't know how to draw that picture, but God's sitting on the throne, and yet He sees something between the throne. There's a crowd there. And in the midst of the throne, this is what John says he saw. He said, I saw a lamb standing as if slain. Now, the as if slain is the symbol picture there. The lamb is a symbol. But the lamb is standing as though it were slain. Having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. Now, John sees something totally different than the elder saw. The elder saw a lion. The king of beasts, the most powerful animal in the world. I don't know if you ever watch National Geographic, but if you don't and you're not squeamish, you ought to every once in a while. They are huge beasts and they are massive animals and they are scary animals. They are big and large. Everybody wants to have the strength of a lion. But John saw something else. It says John saw a lamb. And he didn't just see a lamb. The Bible says he saw the lamb. Now, you can't get any farther away from a lion than a lamb. Those are the two extremes. Now, you kind of understand what I'm talking about, the picture being oxymoronic. Uh, John sees a lamb. Lambs are not the symbol of power. In fact, lambs are, are the symbol of gentleness. We, we call our children at an early point in their lives, early, early little lambs. Amen? And grandparents call their children no matter how old they get their little lambs. But it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a term of endearment. It's a term of a gentleness. They were, it's the word we use to describe innocence. They were, they were like a lamb. And the reason is that is because in the Bible, the lamb was a symbol of sacrifice. Lambs were, uh, they were not known for their power or their strength. But as a sacrifice, the power and the strength of its blood was enough to bring forgiveness for sin. In fact, in, in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22, latter part of the verse, it says, Without the shedding of blood, There's no remission for sin. So John sees a lamb, but he doesn't just see any lamb. He sees one that has been sacrificed. Now, I think everybody's old enough for me to explain this. I'm not going to get real detailed. But what he saw was a lamb whose throat had been slashed. This lamb had been slaughtered. When they went to the temple, now I don't know if you realize this, folks, but the temple... We, we, we make it out to be a grand and glorious place, and it was, okay? It, 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 there was no place like it on earth. It was a picture of what heaven looks like, symbolically in a sense. It, it was a beautiful place. But in that place, it was, a, it was a place of sacrifice. How many of you, most of you probably have not, how many of you have ever been to a slaughterhouse? A few of us, okay? I'm going to change your picture of of the temple a little bit because I want you to understand this. The temple was where people just like us who had committed sin brought their animals so that that animal could be sacrificed and its blood spilt so that they could be forgiven of their sins. It was a slaughterhouse. That's what it was. The meat either went on the fire or it went into the hands of the priest and the priest ate it or there were some of the sacrifices that the people themselves took part of. And so it it was a slaughterhouse. It had a smell, okay? I'm not going to get graphic or anything, but death. You could smell death there. It was a bloody place because you don't cut an animal's throat without there being blood everywhere. Now, now we don't have that picture in our minds. We think of the gold top and, and the carvings and all this stuff. But folks, that was why the temple was there. One of the reasons is so that sin could be dealt with. And so it was a bloody, smelly, loud place. Cattle and sheep and goats... And doves were offered there. Now, I've been around cattle enough to know that they can smell death. And they get a little whacked out. Okay? They get real whacked out. They'll hurt you. Sheep, on the other hand, are pretty quiet animals. That's one of the reasons they were chosen. They didn't get real excited. There wasn't a lot of bleeding. That's one of the reasons why it says Jesus was led to the slaughter as a a lamb, dumb before his... His shears. He made no noise. He made no fight. And so the, the, the picture of the lamb, it was a very gentle animal. But that lamb, folks, and the picture of that temple is a picture there to remind us of how awful sin is. You see, Jesus became the Lamb of God so that He could die on the cross. He was slaughtered on the cross Okay. They didn't cut his throat, but they nailed his wrist to that cross. They nailed his feet to that cross. They put a a a, a, a crown of thorns on his head. They beat him on his back and his body until there was hardly any flesh left. His side was pierced. Folks, his blood was shed just like a lamb. You see, I don't I don't know how to say this. We have this romantic picture of the cross. Folks, it's not romantic. It's an awful, awful, awful thing. And Jesus gave His body for us on that cross. No different from those lambs, although they didn't know what they were doing. And so here's the picture. There's here's standing one in the midst of heaven, among all this beauty and among all these amazing things. There's one standing who looks like a lamb whose throat had been cut. See, that's what John saw. You know why? Because John had seen Jesus die on the cross. He understood who this one standing before him was. You see, the elder in heaven saw him as a king, as a, as a as a as a leader, as a as a powerful figure. John saw him as my sacrifice, because John's like us. John saw the lamb, but listen to what he says: as though he had been sacrificed, standing. You see, once you. Once you sacrificed a lamb, it no longer stood anymore. That was the end of it. This lamb's still standing. He's not crumpled in a heap. He's not destroyed. He's risen. He's resurrected. And so John says, I saw a lamb as though slain, as though slaughtered, standing in the midst of heaven. What he's saying is, I see Jesus. I see Jesus. It's kind of what John said early on in Jesus' ministry. He said, Behold the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sin of the world. You see, John the Baptist referred to Jesus as a Lamb. The Old Testament, what we sometimes forget is the Old Testament sacrificial system and the celebration of Passover which every Jew celebrated every year. They still celebrate it to this day was a picture of that lamb being slain. It was not a. It was not just a picture that pointed back to when they came out of Egypt. It was a picture that pointed toward when Jesus would die on the cross. Here in Revelation, it's interesting. The, the description of Jesus as the lion in the tri, of the tribe of Judah. You want to know how many times that appears in Scripture? One time. One time. And yet we probably know it better than most any. The Lamb illustration appears just in the book of Revelation 28 times. I don't know how many times it appears before that, but it's a picture of Jesus. It's, it's a picture of a powerful sacrifice, one that was was. Spotless and perfect and, ble- and without blemish. I mentioned a few moments ago lambs were silent animals. They they didn't do a lot of bleeding, and so they were they were perfect because they were quiet. Not a lot of commotion. And John saw this lamb standing there slaughter. He could see the wounds in Jesus' hands. He could see the wound in his side. He could see the the wounds in His feet and on His body. How many of you realize that we will see those same wounds because Jesus wears those wounds for eternity? When He put on flesh, folks, He didn't take flesh off when He ascended into heaven. When He put on our flesh, He took it on from that moment forever. And so Scripture tells us that that we will see those. How do I know that? Well, in Zechariah chapter twelve, verse ten, the prophet says, and and he's speaking, God speaking, he says, and I will pour out on the house of David, on the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the spirit of grace and supplication. In other words, there will be a day when I pour out on the Jewish people and the people who live, the Jews who live in Jerusalem, I'll pour out my grace on them and they will look on Me whom they have pierced. They will mourn for Him as one mourns for an only son, and they will weep bitterly over Him like the bitter weeping of a firstborn. So we know we'll see Jesus as He is. We know we'll see those wounds. But the description continues here in Revelation chapter 6. It says, This lamb has seven horns. Now that's a strange looking animal, amen. I mean, let's just be, let's just be real, okay? That, that when I picture that in my mind, that's a strange looking animal. John's not saying the animal will have, or, or Jesus has seven horns sticking out of his head. Those horns represent something; they're pictures. Seven is what number of completeness. A horn was a symbol of power, so this 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 lamb has all power. But he not only has all power, it says he has seven eyes. Now, if the seven horns don't look really strange, seven eyes do. Okay? Y'all got to come on, loosen up just a little bit. I mean, I'm not being irreligious here, but when I picture this in my mind, that's a strange-looking creature. That's because that creature's not going to have seven eyes. It's a picture of something. It's it's the picture, uh, literally, the passage says that having seven eyes Horns and seven eyes. Now he goes on and explains, which scripture very often does what the seven eyes are. They're the seven spirits the seven spirits of God. In other words, this this one has all power, the horns. But he also has all knowledge. And he is full of the spirit. You see the picture? That's eyes represented knowledge. And then he explains it a little bit. He says uh, the seven spirits of God. The com- he has the, f- the complete filling of the Holy Spirit. He is, he is indwelt totally, controlled completely by the Holy Spirit. So here you have a picture of a lion. And here you have a picture of a lamb. They're about as far apart as you can get. And yet they describe the very same The two symbols describe Jesus. Jesus is both. Now, what I want to do in just a few minutes, and I mean a very few, is apply those two symbols into one. Because I think the Holy Spirit wants us to see one person. Okay? Jesus is not schizophrenic. He's not two people. He's one person. It's interesting that this passage doesn't speak of a roaring lion. That's not what the text says. It says, as a lion lion of the tribe of Judah. It doesn't say, as the roaring lion of the tribe of Judah. It doesn't speak of a bleeding sheep. It just says, a lamb that was slain. It could, but it doesn't. The picture here that it paints kind of contradicts itself. It's sort of like passive aggressive. How can you be passive and aggressive? I know, but it it just doesn't seem to go together. Jumbo shrimp. Just think about these a minute. Jumbo shrimp. A little pregnant. You ever heard that? A little pregnant. A little dead. Well, what's a little dead? Or my best, the best one I like, a partial ceasefire. What's a partial ceasefire? Okay? Now, so it's, it's, it's oxymoronic. They don't go together. They're contradictions. But this picture paints one picture. These two pictures paint one picture of Jesus. And that picture is of a roaring lamb. I want you to think about that for a minute. A roaring lamb. Well, lambs don't roar. Lions don't bleat. But Jesus is a lion and he's a lamb. So he has the strength and the power of a lion. But what he did for us roars, folks. Louder than any lion can roar. You see, the Bible says about Satan that he is like, there's the The simile, the metaphor, the symbol, he is like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. He's running to and fro, roaring, 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 roaring. You know why a lion roars? To strike fear in its victim. Because when he roars, they look for a moment. They they, they look toward the sound, and in that split second, he makes a jump. See that's what Satan is. Satan is a roaring lion. Jesus is a roaring lamb. Nelson, that doesn't even make sense. That contradicts everything that my mind wants to think. But folks, that's the picture of who Jesus is. He is a roaring lamb. He's not a, a, a you know he's not a, a bleeding sheep. He's not a roaring lion. He's a roaring lamb. You take the two symbols, you put them together. If Jesus is a roaring lamb, then guess what we are? Well, I'm a bleating sheep. I can't be a roaring. I'm not a roaring lion. You know what? God never asked us to be roaring lions. Neither did He command us to be bleating sheep. He didn't call us to do that. It's interesting that the Bible says we are sheep. They are like sheep without a shepherd. Over and over and over, that metaphor is used of God's people. So when, when Jesus takes on a symbol, what symbol does He take on? He becomes flesh. He becomes one of us. Well, guess what? When He becomes one of us, He becomes what? A lamb. You know why he became a lamb? So he could re- lead the rest of the lambs. So that he could die for the rest of the lambs. Folks, when he died on that cross, the sound that followed that day was not, it was the roar that pierced creation. Everything stopped and looked. And the lion, that is the lamb, roared. And because he did that, folks, that's the picture for us to live out. Now, Nelson, I sort of think you have flipped off into left field and maybe gone nuts. No? You know what? I Every once in a while I have to remind myself who I am in Christ. I have to have a picture. I don't know about you. That's one of the reasons I love Ephesians chapter 6 and the picture of the warrior. Okay? I, I can grasp that one. This one's a little bit more difficult, but this one's a little bit more where we all live. You see, the picture in this passage paints Jesus' as a roaring lamb, and because we're in Christ, our identity is in him, then our identity is in the roaring lamb. And that's a picture that we can remind ourselves every day. Now let me let me apply the description and we're gone. Okay? A roaring lamb paints a picture of a person who has chosen to live out a sacrificial life. You know, too many Christians act like lions. They run around, they roar, they got big mouths, no heart. Now you say, Nelson, you shouldn't have said that. Well, it's true, okay? They're all bark and no service. And that's not the picture that Jesus gives us. The lamb, when a a, a lamb roars, it gives its life for everybody around. It serves. The life they live is not about them. Gosh, if we could just get that one truth and internalize it. Life is not about me. It's not all about me. It's about Him. Folks, when we live sacrificially and we live unselfishly, what we do roars into the heavenlies. It shakes the enemy to his knees. It frightens him. Because all of a sudden, instead of one Jesus, he's got multiple Jesus running around. So the picture of a roaring lion pictures a person who has chosen to live out their lives in sacrifice. And there's nothing more powerful, folks, there's nothing in our culture, even in the American culture, of a person who's willing to give themselves for somebody else. Whether it's their life, like our soldiers in the military, or whether it's just a guy on the street who sees somebody in need, And ministers to them, buys them a burger, takes them by the hand, lifts them up, gives them a hug, gives them a dollar. See, or just sees a need and meets it, and nobody knows who met it. See, that's the power of being a servant. But it's not just the power of being a servant. A roaring lamb is also a person who understands inwardly, not outwardly, but inwardly, the power of the resurrection and the strength that they have in Christ, but they refuse to use it for selfish motives. Folks, I am sick up to here with people merchandising Jesus Christ to father their own whatever. I could go on and on with that, but I'm not going to because I think you understand what I'm saying. Folks, a person who's a roaring lion understands the power of the resurrection. They understand the power of the Spirit. But you know what? They don't use it. They don't pray for it so that they can do things so that they'll be known. They do it so that they can serve others and minister for Jesus. Folks, that's a life that roars. You don't have to tell people who you are, you don't have to tell them you're a Christian if you live that kind of life down, if you see a need and meet it, if if the Spirit says, Nelson, I want you to stop and pray for this young lady right here, and you do it, it roars. How do I know that? I told you about the, the, the young editor I prayed for. Later at supper, I met another young lady. I want to say little girl, but she's not a little girl. I'm just feeling older, you know what I mean? And she was from Mississippi in a place that that we were at for a while close to and we got to talking and I, I knew her uncle and aunt and before long it was a, it was a little small world. She said, hey, you prayed for so-and-so, didn't you? I said, I don't know what you, what do you mean. She said, yeah, Mrs. so-and-so. She said, you prayed for her. And you said exactly, you said these words. And I thought to myself, okay, I didn't even know that. You know what happened? Just being obedient to God roared. Others heard it. Folks, it can happen in your life. It doesn't have to just be prayer. It could just be going up to somebody and say, Hey, you know what? I love you. You're valuable. You mean something to me. See, it's a life that roars. Now, the last one. I could go on and on with these, but this is the last one. A roaring lamb rests in the power of God. Okay? Folks, this is not your battle. You may be in it, and you may be firing the bullets and swinging the sword, but this ain't your battle. This is His battle. It's not by my might. It's not by my power. But it's by His Spirit. By my Spirit, saith the Lord. Folks, this is His battle. Lambs were docile animals. They rested a lot. They ate, they drank, they did a few other things, and they lay in the grass. The shepherd led them to the grass, he led them back to the protection. Okay, that's the picture of who we are. And when we rest in God, we quit being frantic and struggling and and rushing here and there and everywhere and trying to be everything for everybody, and we just rest a few minutes every day with the Lord. Folks, He empowers us. He empowers us so that with a word, with a prayer, with an action, hell gets turned upside down. You and I could try all week long, and and God can do something in a moment through a person who's rested and relaxed in Him in a moment. You see, I could have wandered around at that writer's conference all week long going, can I pray for you? Can I pray for you? Can I pray for you? And God said, I don't want you to pray for her. I walk away from there amazed. God, you should use me. How could you use me? Because you were resting. You were depending on me. And folks, nothing roars louder than a person who's resting in Christ. So the picture... Let's just come back to our picture again. Our picture is of a lion and a lamb. You bring those two together, and you have Jesus. And the picture we have, if we're describing it, is of the roaring lamb. You see, the, the lion picture is not predominant. It's just a statement. But the elder says, uh, The lion of the tribe of Judah. John describes the Lamb. The Lamb who was slain. The one having seven horns. By the way, the seven horns, He has all the power. The Lion, it's a powerful image, but the Lamb with the seven horns has all the power. He has all the knowledge. He has all the strength because He's filled with the Spirit. All of a sudden, those symbols come together and you have one symbol. A roaring lamb folks that is who jesus has called us to be this week when the devil attacks and guess what he will it's coming some of us won't even get out of the building today before we're looking at him eyeball to eyeball and he's took a swing at us remind yourself i am a roaring lion i live sacrificially I live in the knowledge that the Son of God has empowered me with the Holy Spirit. And I live to serve God, not myself. I live to rest and to worship. You see, I want to go back to something I said earlier. I don't want you to miss this. He is the line of the tribe of Judah. Okay? Whether you realize it or not we've been grafted into his family. Does that mean we're Jews? No. But he is the line of the tribe of what? Praise. His tribe is what? Come on, this is not. I've given you the answer already. We are his 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 tribe is what? Okay? What happens when we praise? We're a part of his tribe. Our job is to praise. His job is to roar. Does that makes sense? Let's pray. Father, your Son Jesus is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. For more information on Eagles Wing Church, visit our website at www.EaglesWingChurch.org or on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Eagles Wing Church. Thanks for listening, and have a blessed week.